Uh, for those who I haven't met, my name is Scott, and my uh, Bree, my wife, and I, we've been coming to the Hallows uh, since about January of this year. Um, it's really a privilege to be able to guide us through the scripture uh, this morning, but before I dive in, I, I do want to take, wow, got emotional. <laughs> um, I do want to take a moment just to thank you all for really welcoming us to this family. Uh, when we started going in January, it was clear that there were some transitions, but what was so much more clear to us was just the family that you guys are. And uh, we felt very welcomed from day one. Um, and, and that, to me, is rare. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's been a really big blessing, um, even in the short year, to be a part of this family. It's very clear how much you guys love each other and love those around you and really love this church and the broader Church of Christ. So um, thank you so much uh, for, for the, the welcoming year, um, and it's, it's really been a blessing uh, to be a part of this church uh, for the past year. Uh, so for today's sermon, I want us to uh, do a little bit of imagining and travel back in time. Uh, imagine that you are a Roman soldier in the bustling town of Philippi. It's about 62 AD, and for the last 100 years, your family have been building your lives on a plot of land in Philippi that was given to you by Caesar Augustus, the Roman Caesar. We are in Greece, along the coast of the Aegean Sea, but it doesn't feel like Greece. It feels like Rome. There is Roman architecture everywhere you look. Everything is written in Latin, and all the coins in your pocket have Nero's face on it with the phrase, Caesar is Lord. And Caesar is your Lord for all intents and purposes. And you are proud of your Roman citizenship. Why shouldn't you be? Uh, your citizenship gives you all sorts of rights and privileges across the entire known world. And since you're in Philippi, this is a Roman colony. It is essentially Rome itself. You praise Caesar for giving you such an abundant life. In fact, you go down to Caesar's temple every week and praise Caesar as Lord. Or at least that's what you used to do, but now you're a little bit confused. A few years back, this strange teacher man uh, named Paul came waltzing through town on one of his journeys, and he was preaching this good news about a different Lord, about a different savior named Jesus Christ, and that this Jew, Jesus Christ, is the king of the entire world, even above Caesar, and he came to die for our sins so that we can have a relationship with this Lord of all creation. These are strange messages. Paul left, eventually he got even thrown into jail, but those words stuck with you, and you found yourself in this house church in Philippi full of a very diverse group of people, young, old, Roman, Greek, Jew, slave, master, male, female. And today at church, Epaphrodites comes running in. He's back from his errand to Rome. He's back speaking with Paul, and he comes back with a letter written by Paul addressed to the saints who are in, in Philippi. So the church gathers in a circle. Epaphrodites reads the letter in whole, in one sitting, but you are especially struck when he, when he comes to the phrase and he says, 
our citizenship is in heaven. Not Rome, but heaven. And he says we await a savior, not from Rome, not Caesar, but a savior from heaven. And this troubles you because you know that you need to make a choice. Are you going to be a citizen of Rome and follow Caesar as Lord? Or are you going to be a citizen of heaven and follow the Lord of heaven, the Lord of all, the King of kings? And all of that is not too different from us today in the 21st century. The gospel always compels us to make a choice. Just like this Philippian needed to decide who he is loyal to and who he is going to follow, we need to ask, are we loyal to the gospel of Christ or to the gospel of Seattle, the gospel of our modern culture and the Caesars of the modern world? So with all of that in mind, uh, let's look at the scripture today and walk through it line by line. So our scripture today uh, is Philippians 3, starting at verse 17. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, and by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much um, for your word, Lord, and we thank you so much uh, for this church. Um, would you just be with everyone in the congregation today and those listening online and those listening in the future as well? Uh, would you bless them uh, through your words written by Paul uh, this morning? Amen. So this first question Paul wants to ask us today is who are we going to follow? And I think we all have experienced or, or really intuitively know the importance of imitation. We become like who we follow. I obviously don't have college-age kids, but I remember when I was going off to college, my parents were so concerned that I find good friends and good role models. Why? Because parents know that we are going to follow someone and become like who we follow. You see this all the time in sports too, right? I'm a basketball fan, and you can walk into basically any school, uh, school gym around the world basically, and you see young kids hucking up three-pointers 10 feet beyond the arc yelling, Steph Curry, right? It's because they want to be like Curry. And they're in the gym fine-tuning their shots, putting hundreds of reps in a day, just in the hopes of being coming more like Steph. Personally, I have found this true in my own spiritual life. The most significant seasons of growth come when I had solid people in my life to follow. 
my basketball coach growing up, my youth group leader, my mentor today, Tong, they, yes, they speak truth into my life, but even more than that, they give me real practical examples to follow as they navigate the complexities and difficulties of life. No, they are not perfect. They are far from perfect, but they're seeking to follow Christ and they are giving me someone to imitate. Paul starts off in verse 17 to say, follow his example. What's it say? Brothers, join in imitating me. Is this a bit egotistical to say imitate me coming from Paul? And no, I don't think so because look at the context. Paul has described how he has given up everything that he has. He has thrown away his impressive biography. Let's look at that real quick. So verse 4. Although I have confidence for although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I even have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But here's the key, verse 7. Everything that was gained to me, I have considered it to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing uh, value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So Paul is saying not to follow him in his accomplishments, but to follow him in dying to his past self and raising to a life and future in Jesus. Paul is saying, follow me as I follow Christ, not just follow me. And if that phrase sounds familiar, it's because Paul said those exact words in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So as a core deal breaker to all of this, if the people we are imitating are not imitating Christ, we should not be following their example. Paul being very practical goes on in verse 17. Join and imitate me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Yes, imitate me as I I imitate Christ, but also keep your eyes on those who, like us, are imitating Christ. Paul knows that he won't always be there. In fact, he is currently writing this letter from jail. And sure, we can follow his teachings, but an absent person is hard to imitate. So Paul is telling us, be intentional, take action, and look Keep your eyes on those who are imitating Christ. And I think Paul is making a point of telling us to intentionally choose someone to follow because he knows it is our natural bent to follow someone. And there are plenty of bad, unhelpful, unhealthy examples in our lives to follow. Uh, Today and in first century Philippi. 
Philippi was on a major trade route on a major road to Rome, right? And there were all different kinds of worldviews, teachers, preachers coming through town. In fact, Paul spends considerable amount of time and effort in these letters and this letter and others warning his audience of these false teachers and bad examples to follow. In verse 18, Paul says, watch out. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. They focus on earthly things. So in contrast, or or see the contrast there, the group that we are to follow, they walk as imitators of Christ, but the people that Paul warned against walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people out there who are opposed to the way of Christ. There are people out there who are not taking up their cross and following Lord Jesus, but they are enemies of the cross proclaiming other things as lords, whether that be Caesar in Philippi or any of the modern Caesars of our culture today. Consumerism, money, status, food, career, you fill in the blank. This certainly should not surprise us today, and it should not surprise us that they were in first century Philippi. Well, who are these people? Paul starts by giving us four somewhat intense descriptors in the text. Number one, their end is their destruction. That sounds pretty intense. Your end or your destiny is destruction. What does Paul mean by this? Well, the the Greek word is telos, and it means end goal. Earlier in the chapter, when Paul was sharing how his end goal is knowing Christ and the power of the resurrection. That is what is at the end of the road for Paul and those who imitate Christ. But here it says their destiny, their end is destruction. They will be wiped from the face of the earth. The word in Greek can carry a bit of a dual meaning as well. It can mean the ultimate end and destruction, the end of the road is destruction, but it can also mean the path is destruction. Every step along the way is headed deeper and deeper into this into destruction. This is the path that Paul in tears is warning us against. Descriptor number 2, Paul says their god is their belly. This idea of belly is the desires of the stomach, right? Sex, food, alcohol, pleasure, And yes, these things are well and good and beautiful in their own place as God has designed them to be as gifts for us. But what Paul is talking about is abuse and making these things our God. Their God is their belly. What they worship, what they long for, what their authority is in, what they are orienting their lives around is satisfying their bellies. Again, it's not like we don't see this every day in Seattle. This is still very much true today. Look around us, what are people pursuing? That higher status, that bigger paycheck, being able to go to the nicest restaurants in town? Pleasure. Again, nothing wrong with these things in the right context. 
They are created by God and are designed for us, as God has designed them to be. But when we make them our God and abuse food to the point of gluttony or alcohol to the point of drunkenness and addiction or sex outside of context of marriage and abuse that, Paul is saying that these are actually markers of the enemy of the cross of Christ. Point number three, they glory in their shame. And it's one thing to sin with our bellies. We're all human. We are definitely going to do that. And we can confess it and seek repentance. And that's very common. But it's another thing to glory in it, to be proud of it, to Instagram it, to make reality TV shows about it. Seriously, look at what's on reality TV on Netflix these days. Too Hot to Handle, Love Island, anyone? Promise I haven't seen them, just did a quick Google search. But this is full of people finding glory and success in their shame. Paul's last descriptor, their minds are set on earthly things. So what does Paul mean by this? Their minds are set on earthly things. Well, he actually answered this directly in his letter to the Colossians. Colossians was written probably at about the exact same times as the letter to the Philippians. Paul is in jail, writing multiple letters to multiple churches. So let's look at Colossians 3, 2 through 8. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. This is what Paul means by earthly things. Their minds are wrapped up with anger. They're wrapped up with sexual immorality, malice, slander, and everything else. So what is Paul saying in all of this? Well, he is saying, watch out. Do not imitate these people. Do we know who these people are specifically? Uh, Well, no, we don't know if Paul was referring to a specific group. Some scholars think it was the Judaizers. Other people suggest it's the Epicureans who coined the phrase, you are what you eat. But it really doesn't matter. Paul's point is you are going to follow and imitate someone. Watch out and do not follow those who are the enemies of cross, whose end is destruction, but make the intentional choice. Make the conceited effort to follow people like Paul who are following Christ. Now, Paul shifts gears a bit in verse 20, and he he, he turns a corner. Let's read that. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who will transform the body of our humble conditions into the likeness and glorious body by the power that has enabled him to subject everything to himself. Now, this should give us great hope. Our citizenship is in heaven, our identity is in heaven. But caveat, I personally think this passage gets a little bit misinterpreted and misapplied quite often. 
And even in preparing for the sermon, I saw a lot of interpretations that I think give the wrong idea of the heart behind the passage. So bear with me and take it for what it's worth coming from me. While I share what I think and a lot of other real scholars and preachers, because I think it's important to really get at what Paul meant by this idea of citizenship and how it applies uh, to us today. So that phrase, we are citizens in heaven, can be translated as we are a colony of heaven. And this would mean a lot to many of the people Paul was talking to in Philippi at that time. Philippi was a colony of where? Rome. And Philippi was full of Roman citizens. Uh, Rome was not the first uh, empire to conquer the known world, but it was the most successful and longest lasting at the time. And one of the key strategies to this success was colonies. Rome had set up strategic colonies in all strategic areas across the known world. And what was the purpose of these colonies? It wasn't to recruit people and bring them back to Caesar in Rome. They're not going to Caesar and saying, look how many people I have brought you. No, it was to expand Rome into the entire known world and impart Roman rule, culture, and society wherever these colonies are located. And how was this accomplished? By filling these colonies with Romans. These Roman citizens were given land and told to build their lives there so that they could bring people, not so that they could bring Philippi to Rome, but to bring Rome to Philippi. So when Paul says your citizenship is in heaven, he is saying that we are a heaven colony and we are bringing heaven down to earth. And I think what people often get wrong with this passage is that they use this passage to say we are sojourners in a foreign land, right? We are aliens here on earth. My citizenship is in heaven, not earth. We are just visitors here really just passing through on our way home somewhere else. And I think the implication of this is a little problematic. If we are just passing through, it's easy to check out, to be consumers of the city, not builders of the city, to simply not care because we're not going to be here very long. Our home is elsewhere. Bree, my wife, and I, we like to travel. And when we travel, it is very clear that we are passing through. We're here in the city for two, three days tops. Show me the best restaurants and the best places to see, and then we're moving on. Yes, we respect the culture and try to learn the language and act like the locals. But at the end of the day, we're really just enjoying the sights we are consuming, knowing we are going back home at the end of our trips. Compare, compare this to one of my former roommates named Riley. Just before COVID, my roommate Riley took a one-week trip to Norway. And when he came back, he was ecstatic. He was a different person. All, he, all that he could talk about was going, that he was going to become a Norwegian citizen. Not go back to Norway and visit it more often, but become a citizen. And he was dead serious. He quit his job, 
And the only thing, literally the only thing he spent his time doing was becoming fluent in Norwegian. Because if he could become fluent in Norwegian, they would actually accept him into their local universities and pay for his tuition. And if he could graduate from those local universities, he could get a local job in Norway. And if he could work that local job long enough, they would actually grant him full citizenship. And that is exactly what he did and what he's doing. He became fluent in the language in like five months, enrolled in school, flew over there during COVID, found a Norwegian girlfriend, changed his name to Thomas because Riley wasn't Norwegian enough, and he is, in a few years, will be a full-on Norwegian citizen. He is not interested in coming back here and if he does, he's visiting here and going back home to Norway. He is there to stay. And I think that is the mindset that Paul wants us to adopt here. Not that we are passing through our time here on earth from Christian bubble to Christian bubble until we get home in heaven, but rather as citizens of heaven, we are a heaven colony. We are home. And we should be intentionally bringing heaven down to earth. Yes, our current lives in this form are temporary. And yes, when we die, we go to heaven. But I think many of us have a, a bit of a wrong idea of heaven, what that looks like. I think many of us have this idea that it's up in the clouds somewhere, and we can thank Michelangelo and his paintings for that or it's in like some other dimension and we will never return to earth again. But heaven is where God's reign and rule is perfect. It's God's dimension. And, and scripture talks about a, a new heaven and a new earth where heaven will come crashing down to earth and God's rule is perfect here on earth. It is heaven on earth. And the things on earth become as they should be, redeemed, as they were in the Garden of Eden on the first page of the Bible. No more floods, no more wildfires, no more heat waves, no more pain and suffering. The lion will lay down with the lamb and he will wipe away every tear from her eyes. We should have hope for our home here and be caretakers of our home here as heaven bringers to this home. And I get it. I think people like this idea of journeymen or sojourner in a foreign land because that's frankly how it feels. It feels like we are not home. And that makes sense. But I think what I want to challenge is it's less about us not being home yet and more about home not being here yet. Our home is broken and still partially under the rule of sin. We are in the in-between, the already but not yet, where God's rule is not fully realized in our lives and worlds today. But that will change. Paul hints at this exact thing in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Then what? From which... We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not we await going to heaven, but from heaven we await 
heaven will come down. But in the meantime, we must wait. One last thing as a side. I know that colony has a bad connotation, rightly so, and I've been using that word a lot. Uh, there has been extreme injustices and in empires colonizing other areas. And even in a lot of mission work, missionaries seek to spread American Christianity or Western Christianity or Christian nationalism to their own version of colonies abroad or at home. Paul is obviously not talking about that. He is not saying you are Roman Christians or Jewish Christians or Greek Christians or American Christians. You are citizens of heaven. So when we are in the ministry field, abroad or at home, we need to be heaven colonizers and nothing else. And that takes a lot of care and intentionality. But that is our calling. As citizens of heaven, we are to bring heaven to all areas of our lives, to our schools, to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our families. We're to help usher in God's perfect rule into all areas. It's not easy and takes a lot of waiting. And we need a lot of hope and trust to get us through the difficulties. Which is why Paul wraps up this chapter and where I'll wrap up uh, with our destiny, a bit of hope. Our destiny, our end, is resurrection. We await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do what? Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So we will be fully restored. Pain and suffering will be removed and all things will be brought under his perfect control. It will be the kingdom of God. And that is something to look forward to and patiently await that savior. So to wrap it all up, Paul is calling us to look up and look forward to the return of a savior and for us to be engaged heaven citizens while we wait. We are to look out for the enemies of cross and not follow them, but intentionally look towards and imitate those who, like Paul, imitate Christ. So I'm going to invite Jake up to lead us uh, in communion, I think, Jake. Yeah, and uh, communion is just a way that, uh, as citizens, we get to remember as well. Um, so let me pray, and we'll go from there. Father God, I thank you so much uh, for today. Thank you for this passage and thank you for this church. Um, thank you for the challenge that it gives us to, to ask ourselves who are we following and what does it mean to be heaven colonizers in our world today. And Lord, help us to await your return uh, and the return of our Lord and Jesus, our Savior, uh, Father. Give us the endurance to wait, Father. Amen.